Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Power Hour is here, and for the last 24 hours or so, I have been sitting here, not here, but right thinking, here. Hutton's been sitting in, right in here for 24 hours. He's, he's, not left. he's not left the studio. He's just sitting here. Yeehaw beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. I haven't left. I look like Urban Meyer today. <laughs> um, Urban Meyer fresh off a grind <laughs> session is what Hutton looked like this morning until I cleaned him up. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Paul. I, got, you, I put his face uh, on Paul, for please him. shave me. I shaved my dad while I was in New Jersey. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> touching moment it was this would be far less touching yeah. the um the question i keep asking myself is am i allowing my general thoughts about another terrible football team to play into my mindset of this tennessee titans matchup on sunday because it's a very similar scenario that they faced with the jets yeah i was not i was and i still don't i i, I will not hear the excuses of injuries just it is not with these teams with the Jets and the Jags. They're too use good it, for it to happen twice. Use it moving forward against the Chiefs and the Bills who are tied for the league best or league least amount of players on IR. I, I think that's how I should say it. They have two or three each on their, on their active roster that are no longer a part of their active roster because they're on injured reserve. My point here is this is an extremely banged up Titans roster going against a team that has no business winning a game. No business winning this game. And the Titans are on the road, and I'm telling myself the Titans are significantly better because they have the baddest man in the NFL in the backfield against a team he has used and abused and destroyed over his career. There are too many factors here, Hutton. And look, the Titans are not anywhere near as good as we thought, but they're too good to lose back-to-back games to terrible teams given the circumstances you're talking about, Derrick Henry's ownership of the Jaguars, and given what's gone on with Urban Meyer there, this is kind of an uncoached team that they're playing this week, whose coach in the middle of this scandal, which isn't an inappropriate word, I don't think, told his players to go out and figure out how to lead themselves. Um, If the Titans lose this game, I think we're looking for a tombstone in, in a lot of ways. Uh, that said, I, I, if the Titans lose this game, I'd also expect them to come back and then beat Buffalo and Kansas City Why would you back expect to that? back. Because that's the kind of thing they do idiotically. If the, the Titans this lose team, this game, they are not coming back to beat anybody. That, that's no. the way. I, I mean, I, I, I hate to be so fatalistic about it, but this team is going nowhere. Team, if, if they, they if don't they deserve that, mind, that mentality that they, they're the team of the past that could beat a team like the Chiefs or the Bills by losing the Jets. And the Jags. If they face a week of humiliation the way they did with everyone that covers them talking about how bad of a loss that was to the Jets and they had to go out there and play like that and lose in overtime the way they did to a terrible Jets team and then they come back after that week of humiliation and lose to a terrible Jags team with another rookie quarterback, they're not recovering. I think the Jags are worse than the Jets and I think Derrick Henry's ownership of this team – is fully in play, and 
I, I cannot see. I, it's inconceivable. I, you know, you know what bothers lose. me? You know why I can see it? Trevor Lawrence is better than I don't, Zach Wilson. I don't know how you can say the Jets are better than the Jags when you wouldn't have said that last week. The Jags were coming off that performance against Cincy. Meanwhile, the Jets had scored 20 points total in three games. Yeah, I mean, the, the Jags they almost scored won one offensive in Cincy. touchdown all year. A team that I'm trying to get excited about in Cincy. Their kicker had not attempted an extra point until last Sunday. I mean, that's a terrible loss. And they would follow it up hypothetically with a, a road loss to Jacksonville, which I don't think is happening. I'm just asking the question, am I allowing myself to follow into the same trap uh, and fall into the ditch the way I did a, year, a week ago. You're, you're basically uh, you're thinking like a Vols fan. No, I, <laughs> I think you're right thinking. Now, I where think, you start to fall in this mental. Well, I'm, rut, I'm buying uh, into well, King Henry. I think How it's is this going to be disappointing? It can't happen twice. You're saying it can't, You're basically saying it can't happen twice. I'm saying the same thing. They can't do it twice. But here's the problem with that mindset. I thought that it couldn't happen <laughs> twice with Cincinnati a year ago. <laughs> I went in this game saying, "Oh, they learned their lesson." Joe Burrow was. Half hurt a year ago. He's terrible at that moment. He lit him up. It's a different. That was such team, a though. bad uh, outing. It's not the same. The team. leadership on this team is all the same. They're going to come back. Ryan Tannehill is going to be a different player. Taylor Wan's going to look great. They're going to give the ball to Derrick Henry on third down for once when it's third and four and shorter. All these things are going <laughs> to line up and happen. And you know you're not going to have Chester Rogers and Jeremy McNichols in the top ten as Hutton laid out on third down plays. They clearly learned from the Cincinnati debacle, and they're going to come out. And win. So I can't. Now that they did this, even though it's a it's a different season, I I can't wrap my mind around going into this game after last week saying all week it's a definite win for the Titans. I can't say that this week, and I'll I'll say it again. Trevor Lawrence is better than Zach Wilson. They habitually he is a better quarterback, and they, he is more dangerous. They habitually find ways to lose that Jets game. But they habitually bounce oh, back they, from losing that Jets game also. Yeah. Well, no. They, they, they bounce around uh, the Jags like a UFC fighter bounces heads off canvases. Yeah. That's what they that do too. in this game. Derrick Henry, over the last five games against Jacksonville, has rushed for nearly 1,000 yards. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, he, he's just destroyed. And them. he's it wearing his Yuli jersey. Um, and it never stops. And there is one active NFL running back who has rushed for 1,000 yards against a, a single organization, uh, a single opponent. And it's Derrick Henry. He's done it twice. He has rushed throughout his career for 1,000 yards uh, against Houston and Jacksonville. But here's the kicker. Over his last 16 games combined, if you just look at his last 16, his body of work, he builds towards the end of the season. We're carrying it over to what's been a solid start to 2021. He's rushed for 2,161 yards, and the Titans are 9-7 and seven over the last 16 That's full games. That's a problem. And he had 157 yards rushing, I believe that was the right number, this past week against New York. They stopped the run. They had King Henry do his thing on the road, and they still lost. So One they, they have to figure out some things. And, and I want to clarify something that um, I've heard from a couple of people is that the Titans are very good on third and four or short, and they point to this 11 of 15 on third down percentage. I went and pulled those third, four and, uh, third and four or less. Ten of the 11 conversions have been runs. Five of the 10 runs were given to Derrick Henry. He converted four of them. The other five... Forward Ryan Tannehill runs for first downs, and the the, the other one, 
Makai Sargent ran for a first down on third and four or less. And that goes back to my point about Jeremy McNichols on third and four or less. It's a pass. But what when, when it should be a 50-50 proposition for the defense. But I'll be devil's advocate here for a second. Uh, and please understand I'm being yeah. devil's advocate. Yes. The, the people who are coming to you saying that are saying it doesn't matter how we convert them if we're converting. My, then my we're getting point, a new first down for Derrick Henry to come on the field. Yeah, and I, but that's fine. I'm not, I'm not arguing that they're converting third and four. I'm arguing that third and McNichols is a pass, no matter the down or distance. No, no matter the distance on third down. They've but converted a little bit of fifth. He, they're not converting it. They're not converting it with McNichols. McNichols, though. every time he's been on the field on third down, it has been a pass. 11 for 15 on third and four or less. 10 of the 11 were runs. Five of the 10 plays of those 11 were to Henry. He converted four of them. The other five, four were Tannehill, and Makai Sargent was the, was the one. That's my point. That was my point yesterday. Third and McNichols is a pass, no matter the distance. But what's the conversion rate on those passes is, is where, where I'm getting. What's the conversion rate on the pass plays? They've converted one of those 11. One of those 11 that they're pointing to is a pass play. Yeah. And it wasn't to McNichols. Yeah, it's and and anything that that's predictable. Third and four or less is what I'm pointing. Anything that that's predictable is going to catch up to you in the long run. You you need to change it up a little bit for tendency's sake. Um, I want to get into the the defense though today, which is actually I I believe a bright spot. I I was uh, someone on Twitter hit me up and said I'm I'm delusional for thinking this is an improved defense, but. I mean, we, oh, we it's have absolutely the, an improved defense. We, well, we not on points allowed. I mean, and they're right in that aspect. Um, they're allowing more points through four games than they did a year ago. Are they allowing 51% third no, down conversions? No, see, that's, that's, that's the point. I think they're, they're forcing, and that was my point. Punter comes on the field exactly. Um, so in 2021, we have a graphic for this. In 2021 versus 2020, um, they are 17th in yards allowed. Uh, for 358 yards. Last year, they were 29th. 17th this year, 29th last year over the first four. Uh, Eighth in rushing yards allowed this year. It's been great. They've been very good against the run. 27th in rushing yards allowed last year through four games. Dramatic. Dramatic change. They're 11th in third down percentage. Last year at this time, dead last. Yep. 60%. All-time dead last. 60% for the first four games. Uh, two takeaways, though. Here's the big difference. And they were allowing a 60% conversion rate on defense. Uh, last year, they were 4-0 and at this time. They had nine takeaways defensively. So As they were opportunistic, and that hid a lot of problems the first month of the season on defense. Right now, they just have two, right? Yeah. Two Interceptions picks. by Bayard and Fulton. But they're allowing 27.5 points per game, and last year, it was 22.5. So they're... They're allowing more points, uh, and that's because of but the see, takeaways. It didn't that's matter because last the, year. They were 4-0. Oh. Exactly. exactly. So I didn't think of them as uh, – last year, them giving up those points wasn't an issue through the first four games. Oh, I, don't, but, I don't think we were talking about it. Well, Vrabel was getting frustrated. We were bringing up the 60% third down, and you know they're 4-0. Oh. He kept pointing the scoreboard. Well, at the end of the year, it guess, caught up. Yeah, guess yeah. what happened? Uh, it caught up to them. So you this, this defense, though, I think – but. Based on where we wanted to see this defense get to at the end of this year, and I'm basing my take yesterday on third down and all and their offensive inconsistencies 
based on expectation of what they should carry over and what Todd Downing inherited, and a big reason of that is 22 in the backfield, and Tannehill has been extremely accurate last year. That hasn't been the case. Defensively, though, they have carried over some things that they want to improve on despite injuries, despite not having Bud Dupree, despite not having Weaver, and they've actually improved in some key areas that's allowing them to stay in games and allowing them to be two and two. Third down is better, which was a major point of focus, and pass pressure is better. They're rushing the passer overall better. Danico Autry has been good. Landry has been excellent. Um, I don't know if we're seeing it as consistent. And look, they have luck. Talk about Dupree, and I'll get back to Dupree in a second. Their plan B for Dupree was insufficient. We said it. We talked about third outside linebacker over and over and over. Rashad Weaver wasn't going to get the job done the way he was playing before he broke his leg. What happened? They got lucky. Ola Adeni, who's a special teamer, has played like 58 snaps, something like that. Mm-hmm. He's got two and a half sacks. He's regularly applying pressure. He's a highly energetic outside linebacker edge guy. So for once, something's panned out favorably. A free agent is doing way more than they ever expected. They weren't expecting this guy to play any edge. I know. And he's been terrific. So bravo on that. They deserve credit. Good job, John Robinson, at finding a, an overachiever who's really helped fill the hole. Now if you get Bud Dupree back and this guy can be your third, you're set. Bud Dupree, let's talk about for a second. He talked today very candidly, and this is an example of how a guy can talk about an injury, be up front, be transparent. Fans ate this up without giving away trade secrets. Uh, you know, <laughs> it did not affect the score the, of the, the game on the Sunday. The earth did not split in half. The curtain was not torn in two. The <laughs> lightning bolts did not come down. <laughs> He said, look, mentally I was ahead of physically and I felt like I could be out there. Um, and then I wasn't taking myself out when I was in pain. My whole game is redirection. You know, I'm a big guy and yeah. changing direction quickly is my thing. And I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And, uh, and I, I need to not be out there. Now he's talking like, you know, I've got a chance this week, but it didn't really sound like he's got a chance. I said, what do you need to be able to do to get back out there? He said, I need to get my knee over my toe without being in pain. Now, what's the damage of t- saying something like that? I'm not expecting a parade of the 23 guys on the injury report to spell that out, but I don't see how that hurts the Titans against the Jaguars or the Bills or the Chiefs for us to know that for Bud Dupree to be able to play, he's got to get his knee over his toe without pain. And look what a delight that was. Everybody today that's reacted to my story and all of the stories on Bud Dupree said, I'm rooting way more for Bud Dupree now. A whole bunch of people told me. Because look at how candid he was, and it made me feel sympathy for what the guy's gone through, and he wanted to play so desperately. He was out there despite the fact that he admits now that he shouldn't have been. He pointed out how many people have come back from ACLs after him who tore their ACL well before him. And he leaned against the rail. He answered questions candidly and was, you know, made himself a sympathetic character. Not excuses just honesty and here's hoping they can get him back at a decent amount of time with uh on the schedule remaining i don't know say two three weeks i would guess it's hard to read into what he was saying i I, based on the comments i read paul um from him it doesn't sound like he's playing this week Uh, for what he needs to feel and the progress he needs to make i can't imagine he's making it three and his practice designation right i mean that those are those are all things you read into. He was limited yesterday. I can't remember. Same what he was today, today, I believe. Yeah. yeah. 
So they the no full today. Full today. A lot of guys went from limited to full. Oh, that's today, great, then. including AJ Brown. Maybe he can. Maybe he can. He, he we'll see. He, he he would be a limited snap guy now. When he comes back, he's going to be situational, yeah. very much situational. And he's going to if he doesn't take himself off the field, they're going to take him off the field. We will uh, discuss more Titans throughout the hour. When we come back, though, um, there's a, a running back in Knoxville, or will be in Knoxville. Yeah. Potential transfer that yep. could impact this roster moving forward. We'll, we'll get into that, plus preview the upcoming matchup between Tennessee and South Carolina. This is Outkick 360. You know, there, there was a time when the Tennessee Volunteers were known as wide receiver U, running back U as well, at an era of some great backs. Is Lynn Jay the next great back at the University of Tennessee to run through the power tee? Outkick 360 rolls on. Chad, tell us about Lynn Jay. Lynn-J Dixon uh, was the running back at Clemson. He was one of their leading rushers two years ago. Started to share some time in last year and was completely uh, passed on the depth chart by freshman Will Shipley at Clemson this year. On September 21st, he announced that he is transferring from Clemson. He was committed to Tennessee for a long time back in 2017. He committed to Butch Jones. Jeremy Pruitt took over. Jeremy Pruitt didn't like him as much. He goes to Clemson. He became a good player at Clemson. He's now going to be a graduate transfer He's going to graduate in December and go play somewhere else. And a little birdie chirped in my ear and told me that uh, you can expect Lynn J. Dixon to be visiting Knoxville this weekend as a potential transfer. Dude. He's fast. Lynn J. He's, hey. he's a 180-pound he's a speed back. Um, Tennessee looks set at running back with Tyon Evans, but you always need depth at that position. I'm talking about moving forward, and Jabari Small is a good player too. Yeah. But that would be a nice addition to that backfield. Um, so keep, it, keep that in mind. Lynn J. Dixon looks like he's going to be visiting Knoxville this weekend as a potential transfer. And uh, he's from the state of South Carolina originally, I believe. So maybe taking a look at the South Carolina program, two birds, one stone when he goes to Knoxville, but that's one to watch. And one of the questions I asked Steve Spurrier on the uh, Outkick the Tailgate show whenever we were in Gainesville was, if you took over a job right now, would you – would you immediately attack recruiting at the high school ranks or the transfer portal? How do you get back quicker? And he said, look, it, it's a combination of both now, and you have to give both the, the same amount of effort. But the upperclassmen that you could get to transfer would provide you a boost immediately if you recruit the right guys. This is an example of that, and an example of what I brought up yesterday, Chad, and see if you buy into it. I think it's imperative and, and Heupel can prove this, and I'm not saying he's not doing this, that he shows that this offense and this team really is uh, you know, it, it, attractive enough to these guys in the transfer portal to go out and grab those players the same way that other teams, for lack of a better word, poached your players whenever you took over the Vols program this year. I think about your buddy Kermit Davis who did the similar thing at MTSU. He'd the, go get the reverse the, one and done. He'd go get the high major wanting to go down to play more, the reverse one and done at the end of their career, fifth year, whatever it may be, to be yep. a grad transfer, and would really help the MTSU program when he was and coaching it there. You know, he he would get one or two a year, and one of them for a, a string of about five years ended up being the Sun Belt Conference Player of the Year. Yeah, and you know he would get guys from the SEC. They'd come play one year and they'd be done, and. It, at the time, you're thinking, why are you investing in one guy? You're not building around a single player. 
Uh, but he didn't need to because he kept making the, the tournament run that way. Can, can you find pieces like that in the portal that will allow Heupel to then bridge the gap between where they are right now with 71 scholarships and where they hope to be three years from now in underclassmen recruiting with the incoming freshmen that you hope you build truly, you build your base around? Well, going on what Coach Spurrier said, every college team now has, just like the NFL has a scouting department for college prospects and a scouting department for current NFL players for trade, free agency purposes, every college, major college program has two scouting departments or they have two parts of the staff. They have someone who's constantly on rosters across college football where someone might make sense when they come open or you hear from other coaches, hey, this guy's going to hit the portal. You've got people that are in charge of evaluating that talent, just like you've got staff members, you got staffers and assistant coaches in charge of going with the traditional that's route crazy. Of, of recruiting high school kids. Is that the last five years that that's it's become a, yeah, a ever, full-time ever, thing? Really, last two years when they announced that you could go and play anywhere right away. Uh, this has become a thing out. where you can do it. That, that's of a remarkable evolution. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, it's uh, and I mean, I wonder... It's uh, total on, free on top of that, it's become the NFL. Exactly. Like, you keep your records of scouting guys coming out of college, right? Because in four years, that guy might be a free agent. And so then you stack the pro resume on top of that. Now you keep your, your college, your high school recruiting stuff and stack that, that college resume on top. It's the exact same model. Well, and it's... Uh, it, there's a lot more growth, It's the exact same model, obviously. except that no one has a contract that's worth anything. You're, you could leave whenever. Right. It's the NFL, paper, you're, paper you're obligated to a team to play those when years. you're drafted by that team or when you're signed by that team. Players in college, and this is what coaches fought against, there's no obligation. You're obligated uh, to your scholarship when you sign the papers, but that's not going to stop you from leaving and getting out of that scholarship and going to... Lynn J. Dixon transferred, hit the transfer portal on September 21st, three weeks into his season, and he is just, I guess, a student at Clemson right now, using his scholarship to graduate in December. And he's gonna, October he's gonna 9th, he's going to be at a game being recruited. And December 15th, he's going to be going on the weekend to visit other schools while going to school at Clemson, getting his degree in December, and then going somewhere else after that. And the NFL, it's Th- more This of is a... what coaches fear, but it's also not something to fear for the reason you said, Hutton. A coach like Josh Heupel... He said it over and over. My job is to get this program as good as possible, as fast as possible. How do you do that? You get transfers. Jawan Mitchell, starter from day one. He's hurt right now, starting at linebacker. How many big plays has Javante Payton already made this year? Grad transfer from Hillsborough High School in Nashville originally. Played at Mississippi State. Played one year under Mike Leach. He's a grad transfer coming in. Hendon Hooker, transfer. Joe Milton, transfer. Go down the list. Cade Mays. Let's add in. Transfer, not to Josh Heupel originally, but there's starters all over that roster, or not even starters, but contributors that Heupel brought in. And and he talked about this. They lost a lot in the transfer portal. They got a good amount back. They didn't get as much as they lost, but they got a fair amount. Let's also add in, I think people hear transfer portal and they see a guy who's a four-year or five-year guy. And they look at the one and done aspect of it, right? They're coming in for a quick fix and then you have to fill that gap again. Um, Joe Milton, when he got here, had he has three years of eligibility left. Now, I can tell you, spending some time at the name, image, likeness event in Knoxville, I don't think that guy has any intention on staying three years in Knoxville. Um, but three years of eligibility left. Hendon Hooker has how much time left? 
He's got this year and next. So I mean, he is a redshirt senior, but he's yet to use. So he's a fifth. As I understand, he's yet to use his COVID year. Fifth year senior, but see, that's the key. You get that COVID, and the fifth year senior aspect. People see that and think, okay, it's a one year deal. And Hooker has another year on top of this, and and what we're seeing him do right now. I mean, that's that's great for Heupel. Well, I yes. think I think the ideal scenario for Heupel is That's terrible. For this Milton. continues. This isn't just a flash in the pan with with Hendon right. Hooker. Right. This continues. He's not going to be a big pro prospect. No. So you get him to come back for that super senior sixth year. You've got a veteran present who's he's already started like eighteen games at Virginia Tech. You know, it wasn't like he wasn't playing at Virginia Tech. He was a starter at Virginia Tech. Eventually lost his job, and that's why he transferred. But get him back for another year. You're bringing in um, a Taven Jackson from Indianapolis, who's one of the top players in the state of Indiana. He's a four-star quarterback. He's very similar in size, stature, ability to Hendon Hooker. He's a dual-threat guy who's tall, slender, can throw it, can run it. Um, I think the ideal scenario, if you're just asking me what's the dream quarterback scenario, Hendon Hooker continues this play, just efficiency with his game, doesn't turn it over. You get him back for another year. Then Taven Jackson comes in next year. You redshirt him for a year, and then Taven Jackson is your three- or four-year starter at that point moving forward. I mean, that, that seems like what's ideal right now for Josh Heupel. Are we over-hyping the Heupel hype right now with what they did against Missouri? I don't, I'd let it go for a week. I don't think we are. Um, because, and it's, it's weird. It, my line of thinking here is maybe a little strange. I'm not over-hyping it I, in my mind, I don't think, because of the way they played against Pitt, even though that was a loss. Yeah. You know, you, you know where I'm going with this? Pitt's the odds-on like, favorite to win the ACC right now. Um, Keep that in mind. Because of he's that. He's the Vegas betting favorite. Um, and I just, I, I think the style of play is, is, is interesting. They, that, that game did not get away from them, even though it very well could have in the first half against Pitt. Um, and then they, they end up coming back around after that 38-17 loss to Florida. Um, they get the win against Missouri. I'm intrigued to see what they do this week against South Carolina. Ten-point favorites, but how they handle the game, the yes. 11 a.m. kickoff. Be excited and right then, now. And then you get a little momentum as you get to the back half of the season. It includes Georgia, and I'm not trying to put them up there as like second in the East. But they have a chance to really exceed where I thought they'd be based on what Heupel inherited. Well, they, this is a big week because this will confirm whether or not it's real. You know, what, what you saw, first off, the game was real. I mean, you don't rush for 458 yards on anyone without being a, a, a good offense. And I think Tennessee has developed into a good offense. So I think the offense is, is for real. And even Missouri with, with defensive problems. Tennessee was setting records in that game. Records for both Missouri defensively and Tennessee offensively. You don't do that as a fluke. Bandy, for example, is not going to set a record on anyone this year as a fluke. It's just not going to happen. So I do think that the offense can be trusted to get yards, to put up points. I'm, I'm starting to come around on that. This game, though, is going to tell us a lot because how does Tennessee handle a little bit of success? This is a game they absolutely should win. It's also against a much better defense than Missouri. So can they move the ball and score against South Carolina? If you do that and you don't have just obscene turnovers, I'm talking about the catastrophic Jarrett Garantano-level turnovers from a year ago where you're throwing a pick six or they're scooping scores, where you're right. giving South Carolina scores on defense. I think Tennessee handles South Carolina because they don't have anything going on offense right now. If they can do, if Tennessee can do anything offensively and limit turnovers, they're going to be fine in this game, and that's going to tell us a lot. Then you got Ole Miss at night, and I, I mean, let's see what Ole Miss does against Arkansas. But 
I'm not completely counting Tennessee out of that. At Kentucky, what is Kentucky on offense right now? We, not I mean, much. I, I, we talked about it with Trey Wallace. I have no clue what to expect in that game against LSU. None. They look like a team of destiny based on they really didn't have a lot of business winning that game against Florida. When you look at the rushing numbers, you look at the offensive numbers, it's really a block kick mm-hmm. return for a touchdown that's the difference in that game. And I Kentucky's don't know where Kentucky just, is. I well, mean, for the first time in a while, they're very opportunistic. Usually, yeah. usually they're the can that's kicked down the road a little bit. And well, that's, that's just not what happened. I mean, they had the kick return. They, they were opportunistic against UTC earlier this year. I mean, even the games that they should have won big, they didn't, but they made plays at the end. Run game has been consistent except for one game uh, with, with their run game. So, I, I mean, that's why they're, they're in, plus their defense. Here's where I'm very pleasantly surprised. I, I knew that Josh Heupel, when they hired him, you know, there was a lot of discontent from Tennessee fans about the hire. I knew that he was going to have a good offense. I mean, you don't have his track record of everywhere you go, the offense is improving and looking that way. And the offense was going to improve. It had to improve from Jim Chaney also because it was terrible under Jim Chaney. So I knew the offense would eventually get there. Yeah. Total question mark about head coaching ability. Total question mark about who his defensive coordinator would do and the job that he would do. A lot about how he would Still a question mark about recruiting. All of that question mark. This early in tenure, but I am shocked they're this good this fast on offense. And I mean that they're this fast and this good at being fast this quickly. I- I'm shocked that they're leading the nation in snaps per minute. I'm shocked that they could be capable of, of a performance like that against anyone in the SEC. That, that has they me very pleasantly three surprised. Three snaps per minute. So I- I'm kind of surprised that Tennessee people in my circle, at least, have kind of held off on getting away, getting carried away with the hype. Yeah, I don't. Like, you kind of let off. I don't think it's over exact. I, like, I think I people have been I, I, relatively calm, I, which I, I shocks me. It's been yeah. very because measured. based on last week, I thought people would have gotten crazy, and I yeah. think people are very much kind of like Chad said. Hey, it's a blip. You know, they're going to have periodic blips like this because this is what they're capable of. But it doesn't mean anything about what's coming next. So people haven't been saying, well, they're now going to blow the lid off South Carolina, right? <laughs> well, I mean, and I, they'll and, do the same thing to Kentucky. And it, they're not saying that. People are like, hey, that was a blip. Now let's see if they can. Uh, they don't need to blow out South Carolina. They just need to beat them. Just can win. they just beat win, them? baby. And I think people have been very reasonable. I don't know if that's years of the, uh, the beatdown stuff. It's a psychological beatdown. Yeah. But it's, that's it's fine. If this is, a, if this like is a, a result of the psychological the beatdown, it's made Tennessee people bearable after <laughs> yeah. a blowout win, which I like. Well, if Tennessee as gets a, really good again, they'll be unbearable again. Oh, I know. That. I know. But, but I mean, it's yeah, right take now, a look, I watched the game with 13 Tennessee fans at a bachelor party at 9 a.m. Were you in bearable? And uh, was well, we were all bearable, but we're all sitting around saying, boy, this is just fun. Yeah. Like, it's amazing to like take the field and know you're going to score. Yeah. I mean, that was the conversation of. Guys, they can't stop Tennessee. But it didn't like, turn into anything more than that They're Saturday. going to get the ball to start the second half, and they're going to go down and score again. <laughs> it didn't turn that's you into 2020 happen. national no, champions. No, and, and that's, and that's going to take a while to happen uh, with this fan base. And, this pro- and that's probably a good thing it right now. But thing. let me tell you something why I think this could be. If they beat Ole Miss, If we're change. buying stock <laughs> yeah, in Tennessee right. or not, right? That, that's the question. Are you buying it or are you not? One reason I think you can buy it, what is the old coaching adage? You know, if we had uh, our old coach, Doug Matthews, we'd talk to and talk to him about it. It's, what do you do in the SEC? You run the football and you stop the run. This is going back here. If you can't stop the run, if you can't stop a handoff, and you can't run the football, you're never going to win in the SEC. Tennessee is second 
in rushing in the SEC right now behind Florida. 5.3 yards per carry. They are fourth in rushing defense. That is the shock. That Tennessee has stuffed opposing running backs all year. Three yards a carry. And their defensive That's over a two-yard gap in how camp, they're running it. You know? That's the way they're coached. And that's, again, you had Matthew Butler say it. They got some good transfers on the defensive line, too. Uh, Terry from, um, from Kansas has been a good rotation guy on the defensive line. They know what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, Matthew Butler said, I'm not trying to throw the other coaches under the bus. Everything they did worked at the other places they were at, and it never worked here. Our position coach is not getting fired midseason. We didn't know what we were doing. I mean, basically, we couldn't <laughs> – our, our roster wasn't capable of running that defense. It was clear. There were guys not getting lined up against Georgia State. There were guys not getting lined up at every time. Tennessee is getting lined up. They're playing fast. They know where to go. They don't have a ton of talent. But because they're sound with the discipline and what they're trying to do on every play, the defense is, is much improved. So, again – I'm buying Tennessee having more success than we thought for those two reasons. They are gashing people in the run game right now. They're second in the conference right behind Florida in rushing offense, and they're fourth in rushing defense. So Shane Beamer said it about Josh Heupel teams. The misconception with these teams that play fast is that they're just throwing it all over the place. But what Heupel's teams want to do is run it right down your throat over and over and over again. That's what they did against Missouri. If they can do even half of that, against South Carolina, I think they win easily in this game. And then you were setting up a 4-2 and two Tennessee team hosting Ole Miss at night in Lane Kiffin's return. I think Tennessee fans would absolutely sign up for yeah, that preseason. Oh. Ooh, yes. And 2-1 and one in the SEC at that point. With all the storylines uh, involving all of that with, with Kiffin and the balls and two solid teams in this scenario – facing off against each other in October. But tying it back into the Titans, this is that Jets game or the Jags game, this is what makes Titans fans nervous, right? The, well, you get a little bit of success, then it's a really bad opponent, rookie quarterback, they're going to wet the bed. I, I think Tennessee fans have a little bit of that, nerve. not nerves about South Carolina necessarily, their team, but them. more of the nerves of these are the games that are nerve-wracking because you should win it. You're not nervous when you play Georgia. You're nervous think, that guys uh, might get hurt. I know, Chad, you're on the opposite end But of this. it's more of a nervous that, boy, this is a game Tennessee should win, and that has me nervous. I don't hear a lot of Titans fans this week discussing their nerves against Jacksonville. No. I think I mean, a lot of Titans fans who don't want to discuss anything this week with the Titans. Well, I think so. that's true, too. But I, I think Tennessee uh, Titans fans feel pretty confident. Uh, like, if it was the Jags or the Texans this week, are the only things that would make them yeah. feel confident, and they got one of the two. Again, last week was a scheduling break that wasn't a scheduling break. This week is a scheduling break that probably is, in fact, a scheduling break. It's like being the, the last man up at the T-ball game. You know, you just know it's going to be a homer. You just have to run the bases properly to get it done. Just put it in fair play and then keep running the bases, little Timmy. Remember just that? keep running. At least that's how, that's how my T-ball games ended yeah, growing you, up. Yeah, you just everybody runs Everyone, you bat around one time, and then you'd always have your last batter, your He's best, your best hitter go last and, and round the bases funny and clean enough, the bases up. Funny enough, Hutton, they've changed that rule because my daughter's playing a softball T-ball right now, and in, in the rule book it states, treat the last batter like a normal batter. In other words, don't because you know it's the last batter of the inning yeah. if you're batting through the lineup or going halfway. Now we do actually three outs. It's three outs or six runs. But early in the year when you bat half the roster and then the other half, you, you play it like a normal play. So much so that, in fact, I know the rule book. At one point, 
Another team tried that, and I got my girls off the field. <laughs> they just kept running. I said, it get doesn't off. count. Girls, come on. Let's go. Girls, we get got off. Them out. Off. Let, <laughs> let them run all they want. Let's go. Off. Dugout. Let them get tired. Dugout, Yankees. Dugout, Yankees. That's my call. Dugout, Yankees. Yeah. Let's go. Yankees dugout. Yankees went to the dugout. Dugout, Yankees. They went to the dugout. They went to the clubhouse. They went to well, their homes, were, and they went to the golf course. They're also very confused because the other team just kept running, and I'm like, it's not my golf fault. Golf course, Yankees. read the rule book. Just get off the field. You send your let girls to the golf course. count. Page 35. Subsection two seventy three B. I mean, item B. There's two. literally like it's an online form. It's one sheet of rules. <laughs> it's not that hard to look through it and yeah, know I'm that not you're not supposed to do that. that. I'm scrolling down, hitting accept, and hitting confirm. Yeah, yeah. I just did that on a bunch of stuff. <laughs> I'll tell you about it during the break. Coming up, I read it. I read it. <laughs> coming you, up, I want to uh, oh. d- discuss the third phase of this Titans team because I did have uh, a buddy of mine ask me. Are Titans special teams good? And, no. and then I said no. Uh, and then <laughs> quick then answer. The response, is good. The response, yeah. The response was, "Where are they good?" And so we'll dive into Chester Rogers and exactly how good the punt return team has been with Rogers returning some of those punts and setting up the offense. That's all straight ahead on Outkick Three Hundred and Sixty. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Wrapping up what's been a fun show. Friday's show includes Bobby Carpenter. We'll preview the upcoming college football weekend beyond just the SEC, but we will tie in some of the SEC discussion. Uh, Big game between Penn State and Iowa, for instance. We'll preview that game with Bobby Carpenter tomorrow. That will be at 320. It's a big week in the Big Ten. Yeah, Don't don't short Nebraska hosting Michigan also. That is a huge game for two embattled coaches in Harbaugh and, um, and uh, Scott Frost. By the way, if you're watching right now, you can see a very sun-kissed Jonathan Hutton with the sunlight coming in. Look at this, shot. This there afternoon sun coming into 6th and Peabody yes. Studios. It's right on your teeth. It's amazing. Yes. Thank God Winthrow, the orthodontist, took care of you. This was did. the equivalent of me <laughs> in Gainesville, except it was 105, <laughs> and the sun was only hitting me. The whole time, and I had a sun suntan on, on one side of my face. It's a very attractive By look for you. How often has Ryan Tannehill been hit? I've got this note from this IE service that I Infinity subscribe to. Infinity amount? Uh, 32 times this season, third most uh, in the NFL. First, Carson Wentz, 35, absolutely immobile with two sprained ankles. Yep. Second, Mac Jones, rookie. Th- fourth, Jared Goff, not good. Fifth, Ben Roethlisberger. Not Fifth, good. Ben Roethlisberger, absolutely immobile yep. uh, with an absolutely terrible offensive line. That is not a group you want to be in the middle of. Uh, it's also surprising that Trevor Lawrence is not on that list in the top five. In e- yeah, this anyway. gives me the top five and the bottom five, so I couldn't tell you six, seven, eight. I, They're probably and Zach Wilson. And Zach Wilson, yeah. Zach well, Wilson Zach was, Wilson can get the hell out of trouble, as we saw. I mean, he was sacked running 16 beautiful. times. I know. <laughs> I'm surprised he's been sacked that many times because against the Titans – Anytime he was in trouble, he ran super effectively. Well, and they sacked him what once, right? Maybe One the time, Titans, yeah. Landry. Maybe something like the Titans don't have a great history of actually bringing the quarterback down. I mean, <laughs> also could be part of it. Well, the they have the a great good. history. The Titans have a great history of making rookie quarterbacks look good and making uh, you know bad substitute quarterbacks look good. I remember writing when they lost to Johnny Manziel that it would go down in history like them losing to Ryan Leaf, and in fact, those are probably yeah. two of the worst losses the franchise has had. Where, um, where is Chester Rogers right now in the league among punt returners? Because 
That is the bright spot of special teams for the Titans through the first month. Chester Rogers is second. So Devin Duvernay of the Ravens is excellent, 18.9, which is tremendous on his 10 punt returns. Chester Rogers is second, 9 for 120, which is 13.3. So he's well off the lead, but he's well ahead of number three, which is Ray Ray McLeod, who's at 10.8. So that's very good. The Titans, for the Titans, that's spectacular. But at 13.3, you want to get 10. Yep. And that, that's well above 10. That's a very nice average. He's been a very bright spot. It's remarkable to me, and I've asked Vrabel about this. Gosh, that's sunny. Uh, it's remarkable to me that you could be that good at punt returns and that bad at kickoff returns. But he said there really aren't, you know, and we know they're really not that similar. They're but it seems like if you're – if you're good at one, you should have the fundamental DNA to be decent at the other. They're, they're not decent at the other. And anybody who's touchbacking the Titans, as the Jets did, is foolish. Yeah. You, you should absolutely kick the ball to the two-yard line and make the Titans come out because for, you are going to sure. tackle them well short of the 25-yard line. For sure. And here's a note that I had. We were talking, we were talking about all their troubles. The Titans have started 18 drives Inside the 20-yard line, tied for most in the league with San Francisco. 18 drives inside the 20. You're making them drive, drive, drive. And with the no big plays that they're getting, what you're, yeah, you're no, asking it, them to drive the ball 12 plays. They, their offense plays. is confined to a very f- defined box right now. It's within the 20-yard, you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's, that's what they're doing. And, and, and it's not... All on. I'm not trying to say it's all on play calls. It, a lot of this is AJ Brown and Julio Jones are not available. Ferkser has not been available except for last he hasn't week. Done anything? And he hasn't done anything last week. So, um, you know, it's they, they lack that true explosion. And and can they get AJ back? AJ's showing signs of life uh, off the hamstring issue that he had two weeks ago. So can he get back this week? It doesn't appear as though Julio's anywhere can, close. No. Here's one thing can I Mark worry Mariani about. Can still run? Here's one thing I worry about. Well, his big thing was punt returns, and Chester Rogers is better than he was. Pretty good kickoff returns, too. Here's one thing I worry about is that they think A.J. Brown's return, Julio Jones' return, Ferks are getting back up to snuff, going to solve everything, like by itself. And I hope they're not, you know, they're still going to need to scheme and play and do stuff. Reed's going to love my use of this phrase, but are you guys ready for a stat of the day? Ready for our stat I, of the I don't day. know if we put that in the rundown or we put that on the tweets. Stat is, of the day. Stat of the day. Four fifty-three. We're going to need to add a stat of the day. Four fifty-four. This is from our buddy uh, Ryan Brown with yeah. Next Round Live down in Birmingham. If Alabama doesn't trail Saturday against A&M, the Mississippi State game will be three hundred and sixty-four days <laughs> since Alabama was last behind. So if they get through this week. They will have almost made it a calendar year I mean, that is, until they have trailed at any single second consider, in a football game. Consider Ole Miss, Ole Miss went to the five-yard line on their opening possession last week and had a turnover on downs. That would have been it. That would have been a field goal. They yeah. would have trailed. Could have stopped us, all of our suffering. But that is, no! That is un- <laughs> Get your popcorn ready. Unbelievable. <laughs> We are back at it tomorrow. It's a fun show today. Hit the podcast. If you missed portions of this show, you can download the podcast wherever you get your podcast on your smart device, on your mobile device. Enjoy Thursday night football. Hopefully uh, a good game tonight. Rams and Seahawks divisional matchup. Seahawks have blown some second half leads. Meanwhile, the Rams coming off a loss, a blowout fashion loss to Arizona 
And if they were to drop two in a row in the division, there will be questions about that organization simply because of the division they play in, not because of how good they are, but where they stack up uh, as we go into the heart of uh, many of the schedules. They'd be 0-2 in the division at this point. So something to, something to follow for Thursday Night Football. And you don't have to brush up on your Spanish. U.S. Jamaica's on in English, as far as I know, <laughs> on ESPN2. Don't block the box. Do lock the locks. Back at it tomorrow on Outkick 360. I'll be watching Rams Seahawks. <laughs>